We're really going to do that in the preaching tonight. We're going to dwell on God's thoughts and his deeds as God showed those deeds to David. We turn in Scripture to 1 Samuel chapter 27 and then chapter 29 and 30 as well. 1 Samuel chapter 27 verses 1 through 4 gives us a little bit of the broader context. Uh, So this is helpful for understanding what's going on in the text. 1 Samuel 27, 1 through 4. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with the six hundred men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And then we turn to chapter 29, starting at verse 6. So David is living in the land of the Philistines, and uh, Achish has given him a city to dwell in, and now we pick it up. Uh, they're about to do battle against Israel. The Philistines are going up to battle against the Israelites, and David is going with them to battle against the Israelites. Chapter 29, verse 6, Then Achish called David and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth, thou hast been upright, and thy going out and thy coming in with me in the host is good in my sight. For I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me unto this day. Nevertheless, the lords, the princes, favor thee not. Wherefore now return and go in peace, that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. And David said unto Achish, But what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servant so long as I have been with thee unto this day, that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered and said to David, I know that thou art good in my sight, as an angel of God. Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle against the Israelites. Wherefore now, rise up early in the morning with thy master's servants that are come with thee, and as soon as ye be up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to return into the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel, which is in Israel. We keep reading. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. 
Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men, for two hundred men abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. And they found an Egyptian in the field, and brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs, and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me, because three days agone I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God, that thou wilt neither kill me, nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the, hand, out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds, which they drave before the, those other cattle, and said, This is David's spoil. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is chapter 30, verse 6, especially the last part of verse 6, but let me read the whole verse, First Samuel 30, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we have here in the context of 1 Samuel chapter 30 is a rather familiar story. Maybe the, 
the story itself is not so familiar, but it is a rather familiar story. Because what we have here is, first of all, the story of the child of God who chooses to go his own way. He becomes, he becomes exhaust, exhausted with the difficulty of life's circumstances. He becomes spiritually weak and he falls into temptation. He forgets to pray. He forgets to be watchful unto prayer. And he neglects to ask for God's guidance in his life. And choosing to go his own way, he finds himself eventually in such bad circumstances that he becomes utterly miserable. But then what we also have with this event is the story of the child of God who has nowhere else to turn, and by God's grace, he learns once again to cast himself upon the Lord. He's brought to see, finally, just not only just how foolish he's been acting, but he's also brought to remember again who his God is. To use the language we looked at this morning, he, he remembered to know his God rightly again. And he remembered that God is the God of grace and mercy and loving kindness. And the child of God is brought to remember that God is the one who graciously forgives the sins of his people, who delights to forgive, and he's always open unto their, his ear is always open unto their cries. That's, that's really the story we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I say what we have here is a rather familiar story because how often isn't that the exact same story that so often characterizes our lives? We forget to seek God's guidance in prayer and supplication. We often decide to trust in ourselves and not in God, and, and we soon find ourselves in hard and difficult circumstances. Maybe you've had that, where you find yourself in a hard and difficult circumstance, and you say, but have I been even seeking the Lord through this up to this point? And then you're reminded of, of what you should have been doing all along. And then, when God shows us that our own foolish way leads to misery, God again causes us to remember that He is our God, and He's the God of mercy and compassion. He causes us to remember who He is as our God, and He causes us to find our strength once more in Him. It's a familiar story in our own lives. And as we prepare for coming to the Lord's Supper next week, this is what we want to look at this evening. Because one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper is exactly this, that we might remember. That we might remember again who our God is as the God of mercy and the God of compassion. And to remember who He is as our God in Jesus Christ. And one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper is that we might also be strengthened. That we might be encouraged in our faith. We might learn once again to trust in God. To turn to trust in God more. So that we might rest assured once again that Jehovah is our God. He is my faithful Savior. He will work all things together for my good. I see the broken body of Jesus Christ. I see His shed blood. And God was working that for me. Surely He will work all things for my good. What we learn from 1 Samuel chapter 30 is that the child of God, confessing and forsaking his sin, and turning to God in true faith, will always, he will always find his God to be a faithful and compassionate Savior. We take as our theme tonight, David encouraging himself in the Lord his God. David 
encouraging himself in the Lord his God. And we look at three things. First, we look at David's distressing circumstances. Second, we look at the encouraging activity, encouraging himself in the Lord his God. And third, we look at the magnificent, the glorious results. In the first part of verse 6, we read, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now, in order to appreciate just how distressing David's circumstances were, let's get a little bit more of the context, the background to this event. And in order to do that, we need to remember what we read in chapter 27, verse 1. Because that verse, chapter 27, verse 1, really explains everything that follows. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. What you read there in that verse is really this. David was weary. David was weak. David was exhausted, spiritually, physically, emotionally exhausted. His faith was growing weak. That's what that verse describes for us. For years now, Saul had been hunting David. For years, the number I have in my mind is 15 years. For 15 years, Saul has been trying to murder David, hunting him down. And even though David had shown Saul kindness after kindness, even sparing Saul's life on two different occasions, Saul is not going to give up trying to kill David. And so now David, in this moment of spiritual exhaustion and weakness, decides to go out of the land of promise to escape. He decides to stop trusting the Lord's preserving care. That's what he's doing. And he decides to take matters into his own hands. He leaves the land of Israel, a picture of the church, and he decides to dwell among the Philistines. At other times in David's life, when he was in this kind of a situation, his habit was to seek the Lord and ask the Lord to show him where he was to go. But this time, he neglects to do so. He neglects to pray, and he simply decides for himself to leave the land. And he takes his 600 men with him, and their households, and their wives, and their sons, and their daughters, and he goes into the land of the Philistines, the land of the enemy. Well, in the land of the Philistines, David did find refuge from King Saul, But in the land of the Philistines, David continues to grow spiritually weaker and weaker. We read that among the Philistines, David found refuge with Achish, the son of the king of Gath. And David worked himself into Achish's favor, so that Achish even gave David a city for him and for David and his men to live in, the city of Ziklag. And there David and all his men and his families would end up living for 16 months. For 16 months, they lived in the land of the Philistines. But during this whole time period, David's life had become a lie. David had separated himself and his soldiers from the land of God's people, and David pretended to be best friends with Achish and the Philistines. He worked himself into the friendship of Achish to such an extent that Achish actually made David his own bodyguard 
and servant. Well, as time went on, we read that the Philistines and the Israelites were gathering gathering themselves for war against each other. And because David was now the bodyguard and servant of Achish, David and his men were going to have to fight with the Philistines against the Israelites. And David agreed to it. Yes, it appears that David and his men were planning to accompany Achish into the battlefield against the, Philist- against the Israelites, his own countrymen. And, and he, even, he even talks with Achish like, come on, let me help you. Let me join with you in the battle. And we might ask ourselves, how is this even possible? How can David act this way? And I think it shows us how spiritually weak, how spiritually weak David had become. But David never did end up fighting in this battle. He was spared this situation because, as we read, the the princes and the lords didn't trust David. They didn't want David and his men fighting with them. So instead, David and his men return to the city of Ziklag in the southern part of the Philistines, of the land of the Philistines. But now it's here, on their way back home to Ziklag, that David and his men come across a horrific sight. These men who had prepared for war against their own people now come back home to Ziklag and find their city completely destroyed. We read in chapter 30, verses 3 and 4, So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power to weep. Can you imagine the situation, beloved? Imagine this. Imagine that you told your family that you were going to town for a little while, going to the grocery store, maybe run some errands, pick something up, and you come back home after a few hours, and you come to your driveway, and you look in your driveway, and everything is gone. All you see is this, your house burned to the ground, your sheds, your barns, whatever, burned to the ground, your animals have all been taken, your wife or your husband, your little children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, your aunts and your uncles, your brothers and sisters, they're all gone. And the only explanation is that a band of enemy soldiers has come along, has come along burned down everything, and has taken everyone alive as captives to do with as they please. Imagine that, first of all. And then imagine this. Imagine you are David, and you are in David's shoes. And you were the captain of these people. And you were the one who said to these men, let's leave our families, let's leave these homes, and let's fight with the Philistines against our own countrymen, the Israelites. And now they come home and all their families and all their possessions are gone because they were obedient to your word and they went along with your wicked plan. And now imagine this. You hear these men saying to each other, let's stone him. Let's kill David. Yes, let's do it at once. He deserves it. He called on us to help the enemies of the Lord and now look at what has happened to us. Do you see how distressing David's circumstances truly were. David is in a miserable situation. And and there's more. Not only are David's wives and his families, 
uh, the families of his soldiers gone, not only is the entire city in ashes, not only do his men want to kill him, but think of his whole situation here. David here is reduced to nothing. Here he is in a foreign and strange land, a land that he hates. He's been living a lie and living like a hypocrite for the last 16 months of his life. Back home in the land that he loves, the people of God, the the people that he loves, there is King Saul waiting for him to return so that Saul might kill him. And worst of all, on top of it all, David knows this. He's been keeping himself from the fellowship and the love of his heavenly Father. He knows it. He's been walking in disobedience, trusting his own craftiness and his own strength, and he knows that things are not right between himself and his God. These are David's distressing circumstances. He's been reduced to nothing, and he's got nowhere to go. No wonder we read that David was greatly distressed. And the idea of those words in the text in verse 6 is this. David felt himself being squeezed together. He felt himself, as it were, in a vice, suffocating because of the pressure, loaded down with the burden that was crushing him underneath it. He was being squeezed together. And why was all of it happening? Ultimately, it was happening because David had chosen to go his own way He had failed to trust in the Lord and obey Him in all things. These are David's distressing circumstances. What a situation David was in. As we look at these things, I think there are important things we can learn from David's distressing circumstances. And I have three things this evening to point out. First, we need to see here the danger of being spiritually weak and becoming spiritually exhausted. David had become weary because of the difficult path he had to take, being chased by King Saul for many years. And that was the occasion for him to to turn away from God and look to himself for strength, and, and to stop relying on the Lord. And that's a lesson for us, too. When we go through various trials and tribulations, we need to take that extra caution and care that we use the means of grace. We continue to walk a close walk with God in our personal devotions, in our family life, in our life as members of a congregation. It's exactly in those difficult times that you cannot neglect to seek the face of your God. We need to learn that from David's own experiences. He had become spiritually weak. And it led him to becoming greatly distressed because he turned into the wrong way. Second, we see here the fact that it's so often our lack of trust in God that brings us into great distresses and deep misery. Now, not always. It's not always because of particular sins that we have a difficult way. But how often isn't that the case? What was David thinking the whole time that he was in the land of the Philistines? If we, I think we can do that. We can ask and we can answer that question. What was David thinking? What he was thinking was this. This is my only solution. This is the only way I will be saved from Saul if I take matters into my own hand and leave the promised land of Canaan. That's chapter 27, verse 1. And that was a sin. To leave the promised land was 
as it were, to forsake the church, to, to leave God's people. That's where God dwelt. It was to leave God. God's people were simply to trust in God and remain in the land, whatever their situation was. You remember what happened in the book of Ruth to Elimelech and Naomi when they left the land of Canaan and went to the land of Moab to escape the famine and to escape God's chastening hand upon them. Elimelech died, and then the two sons died, Malon and Chilion, and that was God's judgment upon them for leaving the land of Canaan. And now here, a few generations later, David, the great-grandchild, is committing the same sin. He's spiritually tired, and instead of praying, David thought he could deliver himself in his own strength by leaving the land of Canaan. We need to see that David's sins and his behavior here is written down for our example and our learning and admonition. How easily we can think the same way. So that I think to myself, this is my only solution. If I trust myself rather than God. How often can't we do that? We sin and then we justify ourselves by saying something like, I just needed to do it. That there, was no other, there was no other way. I did it for the best. Yes, I know that this is sin, but, but what else could I do? This was my only hope. And here we have a warning from David's own life. When we commit sin and we say, I'm doing it because there's no other way. I'm doing it for the best. Well, how often doesn't that just end up for the worst? We say, my, my only hope is to flee to the land of the Philistines. It's for the best. And in the end, there's nothing but a burnt-down city full of ashes and men weeping, hardened soldiers weeping until they have no more power to weep. I tolerate this sin in my life. I tolerate that sin in my life or my children's life, but, but it's for the best, right? What else can I do? Make a big fuss about this sin? Continue to live a life of hardship and trial and self-denial? That's hard. It's getting too hard. No, I tolerate this sin because in the end, I hope that that will serve for the good. Well, God does work everything for our good. We understand that. But God, God does not bless that. God does not bless our sin. That's not pleasing to the Lord. And he brings down his chastening hand upon that behavior in one form or another. But to be sure, God blesses us when we are patient. God loves an, a loving attitude. God tells us to be ready to forgive 70 times, 7 times. That's exactly how God deals with us. He is very patient with us and forgiving. But the point here is God does not bless the sins of his people. When he blesses us, He's blessing us despite those sins because that's how gracious he is. But he doesn't bless the sin. So the point is, often it is our lack of trust in God that brings us into deep misery and great distress. And that was the case for David. And then third, the third lesson that we ought to learn from David's experience is this. If the way of obedience seems difficult to us, May we always remember how much more difficult and miserable the way of disobedience is. Let me repeat that. If the way of obedience seems difficult to us, then let us remember how much more miserable and, and how much more difficult the way of disobedience is. 
The way of obedience has its trials and its sacrifices, its tribulations. It has its battles. But the way of sin is a path that leads to utter misery and death. The trials on the pathway of obedience are not even worthy to be compared to the utter misery found on the pathway of disobedience. And that's a lesson that we can learn from David's experience here in chapter 30. When David stood there among the ashes of Ziklag, the Lord brought it home to him so that he understood what an evil and bitter thing it is to lean on our own understanding and to forget God who guides us and to live and to become a law unto ourselves. David had it pressed home to him by God in this circumstance. He had been brought to nothing. It was all gone. Gone. God had showed him where trusting in himself, where trusting in sin would lead. And now, in God's grace and in his mercy, God stripped David of everything. He takes everything away, at least temporarily. He strips David of all his strength, of all his craftiness, of all his self-reliance, so that David is forced, as it were, to look again to God, to God alone as his strength and his Savior. And that's where we come to those beautiful words at the end of the text. Verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, and then you read at the end of that verse, But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Those are beautiful words. At just this moment, those are very beautiful words. What do they mean? Well, they mean this. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. While he had looked earlier to himself for his strength, God had stripped him entirely of that illusion, and now David was able to see again that the Lord, and the Lord Lord alone is his strength and his courage. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And those words mean also this, that David was putting his trust once again in the Lord. David had been walking in grievous sin. He knew he was to blame for everything. He knew the the chastening that this sin deserved. But look at what he does. At his lowest point, reduced to nothing, he now turns to the Lord by God's grace and he confides in the Lord. Now that's a lesson for us. If there are any here this evening who are in great distress... Maybe you do see your sins, and maybe you see the connection between your sin and your distress, and you feel you deserve your troubles because your sin. Follow David's example. Continue to trust in the mercy of the Lord. Never be hesitant, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how shameful it is in your own eyes, bring it before the Lord openly and honestly, and cast your hope upon Him and His mercy and His grace. That's exactly what the word grace means. You don't deserve the Lord's compassion. You don't deserve the Lord's forgiveness. We, I, deserve the opposite. But God is the God of grace who shows mercy. Notice how we read it. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Capital letters. The Lord, his God. That's talking about Jehovah. He's remembering who God is, not just as Almighty God, but as his covenant friend and his father the eternally unchanging God of His covenant who delights in showing mercy to His people. That's 
the one in whom David encouraged himself. Does God ever forget to be kind to his people? Does God ever cast off his people and never to restore his people again? You have those fears and those doubts and infirmities that sometimes trouble you. And then, as Asaph had to say, those are born of my infirmity and my weak faith. And I need to remember, though I am weak, yes, I am weak. David was weak here. God is most high and he is strong. And he calls us, even in our utter weakness, to rely on him and his goodness and to trust in him. And that's what David is doing. He's encouraging himself in the Lord his God. That's a lesson for us. May we never underestimate the grace, the boundless grace and power of our God for us, His people. How refreshing that is, isn't it? How refreshing it is to trust in God once again and to remember to trust in God once again. To have your life stripped of all strength that we might have of ourselves. And instead, we're brought to that moment where we're finding all our strength in God. That's refreshing. You are old, and you see death approaching, and you see the world your grandchildren might have to live in. And maybe you wish you could just take your children or your grandchildren in your hands and kind of shake them and and impart to them the spiritual lessons that the Lord taught you through your many years on this earth. And you want them to know those lessons too. And then you can just trust the Lord. And you can place all your confidence in your covenant-keeping God, who is your God and who's your God from one generation to the next, who will take care of your children, who will take care of your grandchildren. He's faithful. He's Jehovah. Maybe you are young and you see big changes in your future a new job, getting married, establishing a home. Trust the Lord. How sweet it is to be able to place all your trust in the Lord. That verse from 2 Corinthians 12 has been coming home to me the last few weeks. Therefore will I glory in my infirmities, for when I am weak, then I am strong, because God's power is made clear and evident through my weakness. Because then we see that it all comes from Him. How sweet it is to be able to place all your trust in the Lord. Or another situation. You you hear perhaps that the soldiers under your command are talking about stoning you. And you see now how you've been living in foolishness and sin, even pretending that the wicked Philistines are your friends. You thought you could play your games and now it's all falling apart and you see your sins, how great and many they are and how they are making life miserable. And then you can trust the Lord. How sweet it is in those moments to be able to place all your trust in the Lord your God and know that He is your God. He's redeemed you from all your sins through Jesus Christ, your Savior. Yes, to encourage ourselves in the Lord, how that gives strength and courage and hope and comfort to the beleaguered and the weary child of God. Yes, many years ago as a youth, when David was having such strong faith, David could stand before the giant Goliath and he could say, 
The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And he could encourage himself in the Lord his God as a 15-year-old or a 17-year-old, finding his strength and his trust in the Lord. And now, just so, many years later, even after walking in sin in the land of the Philistines, David knew the Lord is the unchanging God of the covenant. The Lord would not fail him as he seeks the Lord. He could say, the Lord will help me again. He is even helping me right now. He is my strength and my salvation. That's the encouraging activity. And we might say, well, that's comforting, that's nice, but what does that actually look like? I want to do that. What does it look like to encourage ourselves in the Lord? How can I, like David, encourage myself in the Lord? And again, find all my strength and all my trust in Him. Well, in David's case, there must have been at least three steps in David's activity of encouraging himself in the Lord. Three steps, three things I have here. First, David must have repented and confessed his sins openly and honestly and and sought to be right with the Lord. One is not able to enjoy the mercy and strength of God except in the way of holiness, turning from his sins. David must have acknowledged to the Lord his doubts in the Lord and how sinful his doubts were and how those doubts had led him into this path of misery for the last 16 months. David was experiencing what we read in in Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And if we are to encourage ourselves in the Lord and put our trust in Him and find our strength in Him, it requires that step. First of all, that we turn away from trusting ourselves and even confessing to the Lord that this is where our struggle is. And I need to trust Him more. Lord, help me. I repent. Help me to trust in Thee more. That, first of all, is what David must have done. That's a step in encouraging yourself in the Lord. Second, David must have reflected back on past mercies and how important that is. He must have remembered what kind of a God he served. This is the God, this is the Lord who had kept him safe and alive through many hardships before this. And would God fail him now? Think of it this way. Maybe this is helpful. Was David any better by nature earlier in his life than he was now? He was the same sinful man throughout his life. And God loved him before, and, and certainly God would love him also in this time of need, because God is his God. So he could say to himself, the God who spared me out of the lion's mouth, and the God who spared me out of the bear's mouth, and the God who spared me out of, uh, from Goliath's sword, and from Saul's spear... He is also powerful to show his mercy and his saving grace in this event too. And that's true for us as well. When we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord, it's a great help to remember the past mercies that God has already shown to us. I remember, I don't think I've said this before. I've thought about saying it before, but I don't think I have. The night that I moved here, we had a whole group of people who, men who helped unpack the the moving vans and then late at night, and, 
an elder from Randolph called me. It was like 11, 11.30 at night. And he said he just wanted to talk one last time. And he said he wanted to give me this message. He said, God will provide. Because we had gone through things. And that was the message that we had to say to each other. And he said, I want to say that to you now. As you begin this next stage, God will provide. And he was encouraging me in the Lord. And I had that on a sticky note. If you know my study, if you know me, I have sticky notes. And that's on a sticky note. And, and that's remembering God's past mercies. And that's what David must have done too. Looking back on, on where the Lord has brought him throughout his whole life up to this moment. And, has, and especially thinking, he saved me in the blood of Jesus Christ. I know the sacrifices at the temple made on my behalf, the blood of the Lamb. I know the salvation I have in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And if God is able to deliver me from sin and hell, if he's able to deliver me from sin and hell, is he not powerful to deliver me or sustain me and provide for me through my present circumstances also? Yes, he is. And that's how David was encouraging himself in the Lord. That's, that must have been the second step that I, I would anticipate David was doing in this instance. And then third, David must have especially done this. And this is part and parcel with everything. He must have laid hold once again on God's covenant promises by faith. What were those promises to David? Well, David, of course, had this special promise. David, I have anointed you to be king over my people. You are my chosen servant whom I will have on the throne of Israel. And what, a, what an encouragement and a blessing that was for David. That was something he could cling to. He knew everything needed to work out for him because he hadn't sat on the throne yet. He's still being chased by King Saul. There's that promise David had. But there was especially this promise, this basic promise. David, I will be your God and you will be my son. There was that everlasting covenant of grace and the promises that come with that covenant that David had, that God spoke to David in and through Jesus Christ, and that God speaks to us, his people, in and through Jesus Christ. I love you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I will, I will work all things for your eternal good. In Jesus Christ, you are well-pleasing to me. In Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And I delight to show you mercy. Because I've, that's what I've made you to be, a vessel of mercy, to showcase my mercy in your life. And David must have then laid hold on those promises of God. Beloved, when we read that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, what we should really read is this, if I may put it that way. What we should read is this. It comes down to this. But David laid hold again on Jesus Christ. That's what he did. He laid hold again on Jesus Christ. And when you need encouragement, when we need encouragement, beloved, when we see our sins, when we are overwhelmed with great distresses, we also must lay hold on Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God has bound himself unto us in an everlasting, unbreakable covenant. 
And he has given us that unbreakable promise. I will be your Lord Jehovah God. I will be faithful. I will be your deliverer. You must never doubt my word. I swear on my own name. I swear it with an oath on my own name. I will be your God. And we need to lay hold on those realities. And we need to lay hold on Jesus Christ. And I bring all of this up this way because that leads us to the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're doing at the Lord's Supper. You lay hold again on Jesus Christ. And God encourages us once again. He says, your sins are washed away, blotted out. You see, Jesus, your Savior, your head and representative, He didn't just go through great distresses like David went through. No, Jesus, the Son of David, went through unspeakable distresses. For he went through the suffering of hell itself. He endured the wrath of God. He endured the punishment that all your sins and iniquities deserve. And he endured all of that so that you might never be cast out of God's sight. And then we can even add to that this reality. Not only did Jesus go through unspeakable distresses, but even all our distresses that we go through are in fact rooted in God's love to shape us and mold us and prepare us for glory. And He ever looks down upon us with mercy and forgiveness. No longer would David find his strength in himself. But here in this passage, David bows once again at the foot of the cross and he looks in faith to Jesus Christ as his Savior. And there he was encouraged. That's the text. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David laid hold again on Jesus Christ and the covenant that God had established with him in Christ. He turned in faith to the Lord. And that's what we must do. That's what we do even as we prepare for coming to the Lord's Supper. And we do self-examination. We look at our sins We abhor ourselves, understanding what our sins deserve. And then we look to Christ. We understand in Christ, I believe all my sins have been washed, have been blotted out through his unspeakable suffering. And then I want to trust the Lord more. And I want to be strengthened to live more in that life of obedience and walk in the path that the Lord has marked out for me. That's all self-examination. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Well, we've seen David's great distresses. We've we've seen the encouraging activity. Let's look at the magnificent results. You read that uh, in the verses that immediately follow, uh, just verses 7 and 8 right now. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, so, so he encourages himself in the Lord his God, and then he says, now he's going to seek the Lord. You see that difference? Now he's going to pray. Now he's going to seek the Lord's counsel. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? I need to do thy will, Lord. Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now that ephod... That ephod was the colorful apron that the high priest would wear. And on the ephod, uh, on the breastplate, you had the Urim and the Thummim. 
which were a divinely ordained means of communication with God. We might think of the Urim and Thurim, uh, Thummim as maybe casting lots or a casting of dice. God gave this uh, for his people so that through the use of the Urim and Thummim, they might know God's will. And God made his will known to David. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. And as we read, that's exactly what happened. David recovered all. Not, not a son or a daughter was missing, or a wife, or an animal. That, that's magnificent. But what was truly magnificent was this. The result was this. David himself was restored to the way of holiness. There's a change here after 16 months of walking in sin. He did not go his own way. He did not consult himself. He did not cast his hands up in hopelessness and despair, but he took up the practice once again of going to the Lord and consulting with his Lord. And perhaps above all, what was truly magnificent is this, that as soon as David did that, the Lord is right there. The Lord is right there, quick to hear and answer David in his time of need. There's no delay. There's no, oh, more purgatory for you, David, more suffering before I even listen to you. No, God immediately answers. He's faithful. And he's faithful in, this, in all these circumstances, even taking away all David's possessions to turn him again to the path of righteousness. God restored David to the path of holiness. That's really the magnificent result here. Beloved congregation, this week, as we look ahead to the Lord's Supper, may we continue to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. May we understand that of ourselves, we are not worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. We're sinners, just like David, prone to trust in ourselves. We're not worthy of ourselves, but we have Jesus Christ. By faith, we have Jesus Christ. And may that examination of ourselves be the occasion for us to cling more to the promises of God and more and more to Jesus Christ. And then coming next supper to the Lord's Supper, may our faith be strengthened that we might receive that word of God more and more and enjoy the forgiveness of sins and enjoy God's constant faithfulness and unending mercy. God does and will show mercy for Jesus' sake. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God, for He is the Lord your God. And then may we remember this in all of life, not just this week coming up for the Lord's Supper, but in all of life, remember the Lord your God. And in all things, this is the activity of faith, encourage yourself and, and, and seek the Lord for that too, for it's all of the Lord, isn't it? The Lord led David to this and the Lord gave David this. But just to use the language of the Scripture, may we encourage ourselves in the Lord our God, just as David did. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, Thou art good in every way. May our thoughts turn towards Thee, especially in those times of discouragement and despair. May we remember Thee May we remember the covenant that thou hast established with us. And may we encourage ourselves in thee, the Lord our God. Bless this preaching to our hearts.
And may it shape our lives. And may it help prepare us for coming to the Lord's Supper next week also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.